Welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in the cybersecurity space about their careers. Our goal in this podcast is to inspire others to join the fight. My name is Gene Fay, and I'm the CEO of API security company ThreadX and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we are joined by Patty Titus, who is the Chief Privacy and Information Security Officer at Markel. She also serves on the board of directors for Black Kite, and the Girl Scouts of Commonwealth of Virginia. She has held numerous leadership positions in the cybersecurity industry, including Freddie Mac, Symantec, Unisys, and the TSA within the Department of Homeland Security. Also, Patty was recognized as a woman of influence by the Executive Women's Forum in 2009 and the Silicon Valley Business Journal in 2013. How are you, Patty? I'm great, Jean. It's so great to be here. Thank you for the invite. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. For the listeners, Patty and I have known each other for quite a while. She was a big influence on a company I was a part of two companies ago, Resilient, CO3, then Resilient Systems. And she absolutely helped us to make that a success. So thank you for that, Patty. And thank you for today. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Jane. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So Markel is a brand name that many of us know, but it's not a household name. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the company and your role in the company. Sure. Markel is a Fortune 300 company. For, it's not, we're on the Fortune 500, but I like to say 300 because yeah. it sounds sure. better. Yep. We're a global high-risk insurance company, and we are a great company. Just it is, It's been a fantastic six years at Markel. Wow, six Um, years has been that long. Wow. It has been, and it's been great. It feels like I just got here yesterday, but it's been so much fun. The company is actually, we're a, a global corporation. We operate in lots of countries and across the U.S. What else can I say about us other than how great we are? We have three engines that actually run the company. So we've got a our insurance operations, which are about 5,000 employees. We have a handful of employees doing our investment portfolio, and then another thousands of people in our venture company. So we purchase companies anywhere from 80% to 100% ownership. And then we let those companies run as wholly owned subsidiaries. So Markel is more of a holding corporation for other insurance companies. And um, it's just such a great culture here and such a great company. That's fantastic. And your role within the company, obviously, in charge of the cyber aspects of the business. So as you kind of rattle off the different businesses and everything that's going on, it's a pretty big attack surface that you and your team have to think about. Yeah. So we're solely focused, just to be clear, we're solely focused on the insurance operations. Okay. So it takes the threat landscape a little bit more condensed, but as you know, I don't, I certainly don't have to tell you this, Gene, as companies move up in the fortune 500, our share price, oh, I think it was around $1,400 a share yesterday. You know, when you've got a company with that is that interesting, it's also that interesting to the threat actor. So, yeah, every day things improve in the company and you become more and more of a potential target. So, that definitely makes sense. So, yeah, I like to say we're the victims of our success. Exactly. Exactly. So, we hope at ThreadX to have the, we aspire for those problems as we grow every day. So, it's a great situation for you to be in. And I, I'm still blown away that it's been six years. It seems like yesterday, you were letting me know you were joining that team. So that time does fly for sure. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, how and why you got into cybersecurity? 
How and why? Wow. So there was a recent discussion that I did with a venture company and they actually asked the same question and they said, who inspired you or who was your mentor? And I really, to be honest with you, cybersecurity, when I got into security, wasn't cybersecurity. Actually, when I got into security, I was in the Air Force and it was called the Electronic Security Command. Actually, it started out as the Electronic Security Group. And then it went to command during my period in the in the Air Force. And we didn't have digital computing technology. So, wow, what does that say about me? I was a Morse intercept operator. And that, I know, Morse code, right? Wow. Well, um, thank you for your service, first and foremost. We appreciate well, thank that. Thank you. That, that's so kind. It seems like 100 years ago, it really wasn't. But sometimes it feels like this, especially when I look at the advancements of technology. So I really got into security before it was cybersecurity. Cybersecurity was, we had these philosophical discussions in the government of why are we calling it cyber again? And then there was the discussion that cybersecurity is different than information security. And then pretty soon we recognized that information security really blended into cybersecurity or cyberspace. So such a transformation, but you know, some of the things that really piqued my interest. Well, first of all, I became a CISO because I was complaining when I was at TSA that there wasn't anybody focusing on security and we better really focus on security. And in the government, when you complain about something, it becomes your problem. So I became- Look to your left, look to your right. Do you then own the problem? Is that the- (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of like, if anybody wants this, stepped forward and everyone else stepped backward. Right, right. There I was, you know, I wasn't fast enough at that time, but it has been a great journey. And it really, my technical journey started years before that at my very first SANS Institute. I went to the SANS Institute. My company was sponsoring the terminal room is what they called like the computer setup so that people at the SANS Institute come and check their mail. Back in those days, it was Unix mail. It was a Unix mail server in a lot of the companies. It wasn't our current, you know, Google, Gmail, Microsoft, whatever. Yes, four hundred so, things like that. So way yeah, back. <laughs> way back in the dark ages. And I met this group of gentlemen and women, and actually, it's, I should say, men and a girl. Unfortunately, and, yeah, and they really told me that I could do it. If I wanted to do it, I could do it. If I wanted to become a systems administrator, I could do it. And they really, really, really encouraged me. And the person who had the most influence was John Stewart, who just not too long ago uh, left the Cisco as their CSO and is now doing angel investing with his own venture company. So John has really been an inspiration. He's always been one of those people I could pick the phone up and say, hey, I got this problem. I don't know what I should do. I don't know how to solve it. Always willing to listen, talk through it. And John and I go way back to the Alan Paller days. And as you know, Alan passed away last year. And it was devastating for a lot of us because Alan was so instrumental in the beginning of my career really with the SANS Institute and creating that forum. And then SANS, of course, as we all know, is world renowned. And so so John and I have just stayed in touch over the years and he's been quite an inspiration. So, 
And what I love about this field is that it is never the same. I mean, when you get up in the morning and you go to work, the only thing that's going to be the same is you're going to get in your car and drive to the office, for me anyway. And that's what's the same. What's different is every day when I come in the office, it's a different challenge. It's a different threat actor. It's a new technology company. It's a new way to solve problems. It's a new way to reinvent how you do things in this field. It's never stayed the same. And it's just been such a blessing and honestly, such an awesome career. Again, thank you for, for your service and congratulations on all your success. It's, I've only known you for probably about 10 of your career, but uh, it's been awesome to watch all the success you've had. Uh, you'd mentioned the SANS Institute, and as you remember, part of our audience are people that are looking to get into cybersecurity. And I think about the SANS Institute for me 17 years ago when I became the VP of sales of SIM company and, and didn't know anything about cybersecurity. And we had uh, one of the speakers come in and really inspired me to the seriousness of what we were doing and the whole idea that we were going to protect the world's infrastructure from these attackers. And it, it's a great institution. We'll put some information in the show notes. But for, you know, as we talk to people that are our listeners, or people that are thinking about getting into cybersecurity, the SANS Institute has, has a lot of different programs. Some of them are free, some of them are pay, but it's, it, it's a wealth, wealth, wealth of knowledge uh, that's, been, that's been created. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a big motto, I guess is what it is. And growing talent is a little bit of fresh ideas, a little bit of institutional knowledge, and a lot of you know, the recipe calls for a lot of loyalty. And the way that happens is by looking across your existing company and saying, are there pockets of people who might be really good at this thing called cybersecurity that might be doing something like service desk, network, exchange admin? And let me take it, push it out a little further and say a programmer for a particular policy administrative system, an underwriter, a claims agent. Are there opportunities across your company when you look at it to say, the person's been at the company and has lots of institutional knowledge, so they kind of get the culture and they know how it works. Can I take that person in and give them a foundation? And the reason I bring this up at Gene, is that what Alan created with the SANS Institute was really the ability to boot camp somebody. So you give them a week of infusion of the broadest level of what security is, and then allow the person to think about it, and then start to decide what track do you want to go down. The other thing that I like to do, and and we've done it fairly successfully here, is we have a cyber uh, shadowing program with our cyber underwriters. And it's been really helpful for the underwriters to see how a cybersecurity program really works because they're underwriting those programs and basically thinking about risk exposure and what is the right premium for that company. So if they understand really in the detail of how a program works, to me, it helps lower risk. And then, of course, there's all the tools that we use and exposing them to the tools so that they might be able to use them as well in their daily lives. But I love to send people 
who come to my organization, I love to send them to the SANS bootcamp program. We definitely send people in my last couple of companies and we need to make that a best practice if it within here. So to change subjects just a little bit, and maybe we could start to think about the, the advice that we could give somebody who's thinking about cyber, but not, not quite sure. And I'll, I'll blend it into kind of two questions. One is, you know, why should somebody think about a career in cyber? And then for somebody who doesn't know anybody, uh, is listening to this, like, well, how do they get started? So let me take your questions in, as you ask them. So the right. first one is basically, you know, how do you get started? Why would you even want to do this? And some days I look at it and go, people who are in this field are nuts. You got to have a little run. bit of crazy. <laughs> you got to be a little good at stress management. You got to be super flexible. You got to love change because the paradigm is definitely not, we're not on a straight line here. So, you know, I think when people think about security, I don't know too many people who like things to be normal and boring. Although maybe I just surround myself with people who don't like normal and boring, but cybersecurity is such a changing field. And my goodness, it has a career path that I see no end to. Right. I just, you know, we see, we talk about the government is building up their cybersecurity workforce. And amazingly, they've actually recognized they need to do something about the pay. So if you go on the Homeland Security website, you're going to see that the pay scale is much better than when I was at TSA and you were capped out at whatever the GS scale was or in the SES lines, right? Like the max, I think a government employee could make was $160,000 when I was in. So a lot bigger opportunity there. So you've got a government track. You've got the whole cyber command. If you're in the military and you're like, well, I want to finish up my years in the military, but I want to have a direction so that when I get out, I can do something cool. There are cybersecurity tracks now in the military that you can get into your MOS, your military service, what you do. And for people in the private sector, I have to tell you, there's a lot of people on my team, myself included. I'm not necessarily a proponent of this, but we don't have college degrees. So I am actually by trade. I am a musician. I am a, I studied religious philosophy, liberal arts, because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And liberal arts school seemed pretty cool. And religious philosophy was interesting because everyone's going to get a really great job with that. And then I also used to sing a lot. And um, I did a couple of years in education with learning disabled kids. And sometimes I think that's what qualifies me to do this job is that the learning disabled, talented and gifted programs, I'm pretty sure I probably would have been in them. They didn't have them when I was going to school, but I probably would have been in them. And I find there's a lot of people in our field that, I don't know, musicians and um, security for some reason go together. I don't quite understand that, but it does. So, you know, there's a lot of colleges now with college tracks in cyber. Um, We just hired a young man who is finishing up his grad studies, and I'm going to get this wrong, but and he'll forgive me, I'm sure. But it's a cyber security, cyber intelligence. Wow. And what he just the four-year college and now his grad studies, he brings a tremendous amount of different thinking to the team. So huge, huge talent gap filled. 
So I think there's a lot of opportunity to get into it. I think the other thing, if any of your folks are interested, there is a podcast out there that one of my younger millennial up and comers did. Stephanie Dannon was actually our executive administrative assistant. And she had a human behavior background. And I said, have you ever thought about cyber? And she's like, you've got to be kidding me, right? And I'm like, no, seriously. She came into our program. We hired her in an entry-level position. And she is just, she's already moved out of third-party vendor risk management. She is now in my application security program, kicking butt and taking names. So a lot of it is if you're self-motivated, If you're hungry for information, this is the field to be in. And if you're a self-starter, the sky is the limit. Yeah, well, I've had the pleasure of uh, interviewing other CISOs on the podcast. And curiosity is a common theme. If you're a curious, avid learner, this can be a massive field for you. And it's, to your point, college degrees are great. I've got... blessed. I, I was able to do my undergrad and my MBA, but I think associates, people coming out of the military without a college degree, if you're willing to work hard and to be you know, just interested in, in, to your point, that dynamic aspect of a job day in and day out, this is the perfect field for you because it's not the monotony of, you know, TPS report A to B, A to B, A to B. It's a constant, ever-changing thing. Log4j happens, which is a you know, recent vulnerability. Uh, another vulnerability, I'm blanking on the one that just happened two days ago. Like, boom, instantly, we've got to take action. Teams are set up. People take leadership roles. And with such a, a need for more talent, companies like Markel, small companies like us, and everybody in between are willing to train, are willing to invest in those people who have the underlying desire and are willing to push forward and enjoy the uncomfortable, there's just a wealth of nights, whether it's the Sands Institute or going to a B-side event or you know, just reaching out to people in the community. It's a welcoming environment for those that want to get, get passionate about something. Definitely. Definitely. Did I answer both questions? You did, yes, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. I didn't mean to stump you with two at a time. Trying to... No, it's good. So with your military background, and we touched on this a little bit, but maybe as you think about it, if somebody from the Navy or the Air Force or military reached out to you and said, hey, I'm exiting and I'd like to try to develop a skill in cybersecurity. I don't have any hands-on keyboard experience today, but they're demonstrating all the, the passion and, and the, the things that we're looking for, the underlying DNA capabilities. What's the guidance that you're, you're giving to people in that area? So my military background was quite a few years ago, but I will say that the military does a really good job of instilling management and leadership skills in individuals. And while you may not have specific hands-on keyboard programming or forensics or fill in the blank, you've probably got more technology knowledge from the tools and instruments that you have in the military than the average person has in their home. So if you have an inclination for I, for technology, I would say that's the first one, right? You got to have a curiosity. I love that word. And you got to recognize that we kind of really don't want you to have too much knowledge 
because we want to mold you with the tools that we've acquired. And each tool creates a whole different set of unique challenges. Now, what's interesting, Jean, that I've seen, so we do an intern program in the summer with college students. And what I found, which we did not expect, we're a Microsoft shop. So I'm just going to give my Microsoft plug for the day. We're a Microsoft shop. And what I found is people come out of college and they only know how to use Google. They use the G Suite, Google Docs, Google everything. And it takes us two weeks to teach them how to even use the Microsoft Suite. Well, that's a little bit of, hey, Microsoft, pay attention. There's a little bit of that. But the other one is, hey, a company, when you're hiring students out of college, you need to have a different onboarding process for those folks. And hey, students, better to get your hands wet across the board. And that's where I think people coming out of the military may have a bit of a leg up, right? Mm -hmm. They're infused in the Microsoft type world because we had PCs and we had PCs. And unless you went and bought your own computer, you probably didn't have your own computer. So I think that's an up, but I really think people in the military have a skill and a capability that other people don't have. So don't sell yourself short. You've got more education and experience on that resume from just being in the military than a lot of people have after 40 years of being in the workplace. Absolutely. My nephew is just about to finish up, I think his fourth deployment in submarines. And now he's just about to the end of his career in the military. And uh, my brother who works for F5 and and myself are both like, hey, you know, you should really think about this whole area of cybersecurity. And, you know, and, and he's like, well, you know, I don't have a college education. I'm like, well, one, you can get that along the way. It's not a linear path. These are parallel paths. And you're coming out with a, a whole set of skills and to your point, underlying it, leadership, teamwork, camaraderie, you know, working difficult, stressful situations and understanding how to keep an even head. Like, those are skills that are nearly impossible to train for or teach in quote unquote the in industry. So they're coming out to your point. Yeah, don't sell yourself short. There's a massive amount of opportunity on that side for, for sure. For sure. I'm going to say I have a former Marine on my team who cannot get over calling me ma'am. Yep. Yep. I mean, if I made him do it, he would, but yeah. it's like, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, that level, of, it's the professionalism. Uh, in, <laughs> yes. in that, right? It is. It's awesome. I told him he could rub that off on a few other people <laughs> on the team. <laughs> Some rougher edges, I'm sure. So, uh, Patty, uh, in terms of the last question here, uh, it's uh, definitely one that uh, I think the industry in general uh, struggles with. And that is like, how do we encourage people with a diverse background to enter cyber? But probably said a better way is how do we as leaders attract people with a diverse background into our organizations and into cybersecurity? So funny enough, this is a hot topic across, I think, every company right now, the whole diversity and inclusion. And sometimes I scratch my head. Are we really still talking about this in 2022? Apparently we are. So I think there's a couple things. If I can be a little bit provocative, I think... Diversity is one thing. Inclusion is something completely different. So yes, we need diverse. 
We need diverse candidates. We need diversity of thought. And I almost feel like diversity of thought is even more important than the gender, the ethnicity, and some of the other diversity things we look at. I think if you do diversity of thought, the other pieces come with it. And then the other thing I would say is a lot of companies are hyper-focused on diversity numbers. And I will say companies that do that, if you don't have inclusion corrected in your company, it doesn't matter what you do with diversity. And so I would say if we can promote the inclusion component, and what's interesting is when you start thinking about inclusion, you start to include people who are non-traditional cyber people in the conversation. We're forming a women in technology team, a, a special interest group, if you can imagine, and a company that's you know been around since 1930. We have a Markel Women's Network, but we feel that we have unique challenges in a very male-dominated field, which is fine. I mean, it is what it is. I think a couple of things that I've seen that are helping, and that is that we get out of the boys club conversations. So, hey, we're going to have a whiskey and cigar event at RSA. Really? Could we just say we're going to have drinks? And I don't know, I guess pot's legal there. You could talk about that. But, you know, could we just think about, you know, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but, you know, we looked at our diversity and inclusion and we looked at bias language. We looked at bias language in our job descriptions. We looked at bias language in our job announcements. We looked at bias language in our security policy, where we moved things like whitelisting and blacklisting, and we went to blocking and unblocking. And those are hard, right? Talking about a demilitarized zone or a Chinese firewall or a, you know, the, the, the voice that you have and that you portray helps to add the inclusion or the non-inclusion thing. So, you know, if you have lots of Asian folks on your team and you're talking about Chinese firewalls, there might be an offense being mm-hmm. taken there, mm-hmm. not intended, but so we as leaders have to think differently about what is diversity and inclusion for our teams and how do we look at those diverse candidates and how do we change our language? So how do we change the conversation? RSA did something, I don't know if you remember this, Gene, about five, maybe it's been seven or eight years now, or they said some women wrote a letter saying we're insulted that there's a whole exhibit floor full of women in very short skirts, high boots, pawning stuff that they don't even really sell. And that that's not the message we want to portray to get women into that, our field, right. this whole, you know, the way you're doing this as vendors is not helping us. And they made a big change. Everybody wears polo shirts and khakis. And, you know, just to me, that little change has been huge at helping us change the culture and that trying not to promote this mentality that most people don't think is there. I think it's well said, Patty, because I I think of a situation you, you pick on the RSA show and for our listeners, the RSA conference is one of the biggest 
get togethers to 30,000 people pre pandemic, you know, to get back to the probably even the bigger those numbers. But I have a, a female engineer doing a great job. But she always talks about going to RSA and working the show floor booth and having somebody come up, you know, whoever and say, Hey, you know, should I go over and introduce her? Hi, my name's Sydney. Uh, yeah, I want to talk with uh, one of the engineers. She's like, Yeah, you're talking to one. No, no, no. I mean, like really one of the engineers, somebody building the product. She's like, yeah, no, that's me. And she's, you know, works for our company. She worked, she had the same experience at Rapid7. She had the same experience at IBM. So it doesn't even matter the company that she was working for at the time, that bias, that's a blatant bias of assuming that the person you're talking to because of, uh, of being a female is, you know, not an engineer or not knowledgeable to your point. Oh, just somebody there to do to scan scan the badges so i think collectively we do need to do a, a better job of that and i i think you also said it perfectly it's not about the metrics it's about the inclusion aspect of the business yeah. and uh, you know we, we uh, all collectively need to continue to work on that and advance that to help it i've got a, three daughters so i i want to see a, a better world where they can on equal footing achieve all the great things that i know they're fully capable of and it's for their effort and their uh, their capabilities and no other reason. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. And yeah, I just think we can do more as leaders yes. by ensuring that we're thinking about it top of mind. And, and I do feel that diverse candidates, diverse people hire diverse candidates. So people have diversity of thinking and thought and it's not intuitive to us because as humans, we like to be around people who look and act like we do. Although I don't think there's anybody as funny as I am, but you know, I'm just kidding. I think it's an opportunity that across our industry and in technology in general, there's still, I mean, take cyber and take it to the next level. And let's talk just about technology. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. So that's why I'm on the board of directors for the Girl Scouts of the Commonwealth. It's cookie season, people. All right, get out. Buy there. your Girl Scout yeah, cookies. Exactly. Yeah. And if we can get the girls, if we can get the kids when they're young and in school and encourage them to go into the STEM programs, I think that will help us. But we got to get started young. So yes. I have some granddaughters and some grandsons, all equal yeah. field here. I would love to see them all go into, into STEM type careers, yes. but yeah. Yeah, they may have aspirations for other things. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, a, there's no shortage of jobs in cybersecurity. And then to the broader point to, within, you know, people that can code, that people that understand the technical aspects of this, it's an unlimited uh, opportunity to join great companies, start great companies and continue to evolve. So I think that that's a, a big opportunity for the younger people coming up right now. So. You know, Gene, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, and it pays pretty well. Yes, it does. Yeah, we, we, it does. We don't, yeah. It's a good paying field. No, it is. And uh, and proudly, we should say that because it gives opportunity to people coming out of the military, people with maybe only an associate's degree, maybe people with a high school degree, but a massive amount of curiosity, like coming into this field opens up uh, not, not only just a great job, but to your point, ability to take themselves to a next level of economic success. So it's a great time to be in cyber for sure. It's a competitive time. It is. All my peers need to quit cherry picking my people. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I might be doing that to them. Sorry. (laughs) It happens all across the board for sure. uh, Indeed it does. Yeah. Our building is right across from Rapid7 and I 
just had a, an intern who was uh, in our inside sales organization, just let me know she was going to work for Corey Thomas's organization, Rapid7. So, oh, well, and she's going to do awesome and it's a great company. So well, we all got to just keep bringing people in for sure. Awesome. Well, Patty, thank you so much. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Patty, for joining us and sharing your journey and your thoughts on careers in cybersecurity. Please join us next time for another episode of the Executive Security Podcast. Thanks a lot and have a great day. Thank you.